We're in week three of our uh, missions series. Um, I was looking through my notes, and I came across some notes from a missions series I did in 2015. And um, I'm not preaching the same sermon. For those of you who say, hey, I already heard that one. No, no, it's different. But there was one thing in those notes that stood out to me, and that was that missions, are, are the whole purpose of it is for it to become a lifestyle, not a thing we do. And I think too often times we get caught up in it's something I do. We as a church do missions, which, I mean, that's phraseology, that's the terminology I use. But I want it to be who we are, not what we do. And the reason I want it to be who we are and not what we do is because that's how I feel like Jesus asks us to to live it, to live it. And so um, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn there right now. Um, But it's about living it. It's about not just going into all the world, but wherever we're at in the world, connecting with those who maybe we wouldn't normally connect with. It's actually reaching those who are different than us. Culture, socioeconomic, race, creed, whatever it is, connecting with them, that's what I believe Jesus was trying to get us to do and to understand. Yes, I believe in a call to go out. But I also believe in a lifestyle that says, I'm going to look for ways to build bridges with those that are different than me. So Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4, says this. Or, yeah, starting in verse 4 says this. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking to the disciples post-resurrection. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore... When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Because, see, I'm going to stop right now. They thought that that means he's now going to take the power that they thought all along he was talking about. They were ready to take their spots to lead Israel in a war against the rest of the world. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. A couple very important distinctions we're going to make right now. There's a literal view of this and a figurative view of this. I've told you before many times, I believe scripture. I believe it's literal. But I also believe that they speak in terms, both poetic and literary that don't mean literal. He was not talking about literally just these places. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Okay, so literally it would have been the city of Jerusalem, then the regions of Judea and Samaria, and then to the known parts of the world that existed, which would have been the Middle East, Northern Africa, basically the southern part of Europe, and part of Asia. That was to them the ends of the earth. That's what the Roman Empire ruled. That's all they knew of the known world. So if we were going there, you've got this one little circle, and that would have been everything. Because that was to the ends of the earth to them. That would have been the phraseology they would have used if somebody was going within the known world. 
So that would have been the literal view, which would mean this work is already done. Um, the good news is it would take us pressure off us to do anything because that's yeah, already done, so we're good. Um, but that's not the reality. Missions then becomes irrelevant if we're going to take that as a literal, this little part of the world. But when we take it as a figurative view, it's referring to Jerusalem, which is our sphere of influence. Your world, your everyday life, the people you come in contact with, you're supposed to share the gospel with them. The Judea and Samaria would be our city and our region, the areas around us. We need to make sure that the gospel's being preached and promoted in those ways. And we have to find ways to partner with ministries that are doing that. And then the ends of the earth would be the whole world, no matter where people are located. That everybody has the right and the need to hear the gospel of who Jesus is. I oftentimes struggle because I want everybody to come into relationship with Jesus the way I know him. And yet I also believe that God gave us free will, which means I can't make that choice or decision for anyone else. I can present it. I can live it. I can make it clearly who I am. But I cannot make somebody choose. I cannot force or or coerce somebody into following what I want them to follow. And when I try to do that, what I actually do is I belittle the gospel that I say I believe because he says every person has been called, but every person has to make that choice. And so if I believe the gospels I say I do, I'm belittling the very thing that I say that I believe in by trying to force somebody into my point of view. And too oftentimes, in our vigor, in our enthusiasm, in our whatever, we're trying to force people to get saved. And yet, he's saying, my Holy Spirit is going to do a work in them just as it did a work in you. My Holy Spirit is going to move on people, and it's their decision and their choice as to whether or not they come into relationship with me. It's the old, we all take our own journey and our own path, and sometimes our paths were hard, but it helped shape us and make us who we are today. Our paths and our journeys help us become better and stronger as followers of Jesus. Now, sometimes I wish I could, especially when I'm working with students, I wish I could just get them, okay, listen, just shut up. I know what I'm talking about. Listen to me. Don't do this. You'll be much happier later. How many of you look back on some of your teenage decisions and go, wish I hadn't done that? I'm not going to ask a lot, but, oh, okay, so about half of us actually have a decision in life that we go, wish I hadn't done that. Cost me a lot. It was painful. It was difficult. I had to overcome things. But it was part of your journey, and it shaped you into who you are. Yeah, Christine's over there poking Joe, going, yes, right here. That's just the reality. And yet... God does not ever use that against us. God does not use that against us. I'm not saying there's not a cost to pay. Our past can have a high cost. Some of you have maybe had a divorce in your past. Some of you have struggled with drug use or addiction in your past. Some of you have had other issues in your past that cause you pain, and they're frustrating still to this day. But God's not condemning you. He's looking at you and saying, it's part of what shaped you and made you who you are today. Now, what do we do as we move forward with that? What do we do with those lessons learned 
to become more of who he created us to be. He's not at any point. And too much of the world and too much of even the church says, well, you did this, and so you're cast into this box. And God's looking and saying, you're not. And through my Holy Spirit, you're going to have the power to go and to be my witnesses to the world around you. So here's a few things the text says. First off, it says, wait. It says, and wait here. God has something for them. Stay and wait to receive. Oftentimes, I I think we're really bad at waiting. We want to see things, and we want to see things happen the way we want, and we want to see them now. But God is developing and doing something in us in order for us to be ready to receive what he has for us. That sometimes we aren't ready that first time. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is designed to enable and equip Equip is essentially to give us power in order for you to do a greater ministry. It's not designed and equipped so that you're better than some other Christian who hasn't received or experienced that. It's designed so that you can do a greater ministry. If your whole thing is that I have it, you don't, so I'm in this camp and you're not, then you miss the whole purpose of it, the whole purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, the whole purpose of the Spirit moving in us and through us. It's not a measure as to whether or not you're good enough, worthy enough, acceptable enough, chosen. It's whether you're going to allow him to empower you to do what he has called you to do. Second thing the text tells us, and this really goes against a lot of uh, people that are in the same camp as us, so to speak, but no one knows the day or time. Ever seen one of those books or heard somebody preach on how they had a formula to figure out when Christ is going to return? Anybody see that? The church is still going. I just heard one recently on why he's coming next year. They have an actual date. It's in May of next year. Jesus is coming back. And yet this literally says, Jesus even goes, I don't know the time. It's not for you to worry about. And yet, for some reasons, Christians obsess about it. I've told you, sooner or later, you're going to stand before God. Either Jesus is coming back in your lifetime, or you're dying, but there's nobody that's immortal. So one way or another, you're going to stand before him. Let's make the most of this life and live every day to the absolute fullest what I can do to show and to share the kingdom of God with those around me. Yes, I believe he's coming back. I don't know the time, but it's okay because Jesus doesn't even know the time. Let's not get caught up in these things that sidetrack us. Now, you say, but if I knew the time, I could, you could what? You still can't make other people choose. And you still should be living your life every day as if you love Jesus. So you still shouldn't be out there just sinning all you want and going, well, I'm good until next Friday. Our lives should be about representing who Jesus is at all times, in all we do, in all we say, and in every relationship. So the win isn't nearly as critical. And people say, well, but the time is short. You're right, the time is short. Because this life is a breath. This life is a blink of an eye. And if you don't believe me, look at your kids who are 2 or 5 or 27 and go, where did the time go? I remember, like specifically, when we were looking at how we were going to pay for college for my daughter and trying to figure out and doing that paperwork and doing all this stuff that goes with it. And now my daughter's been out of college and has a job and is moving forward with life. I'm like, how am I going to do this for my son? I'm looking at the paperwork, filling out. 
It's a breath. And I'm not saying don't make wise choices. I'm not saying be foolish. But what I am saying is this. It goes so fast. You're going to meet Jesus, and it's going to happen soon enough. Let's not be obsessed with the days coming back. Let's be obsessed with living today to show the world that's lost who he is. That should be our obsession. End times experts are not really the experts they believe they are. The Bible is not a code to be cracked or a mystery to be deciphered. It's the word of God showing us how to live. We don't need to know the date or time. We need to be prepared in everything we do to live for him. My favorite part of this is one single word. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And. It's a key word because it says and and not then. It's not Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. It's not once I got my family and friends saved, then I'll care about the lost across the world. Once I've got my circle, then I'll care about others. It's telling you now that we are called to care for the orphan in Mexico as much as my neighbor across the street. I'm called to care about the spiritual condition of those that I don't agree with politically as much as those that are in my camp already. And it gets really hard when we think, but what about my family? What about my children? They've got to know first. Well, I would never say you shouldn't, you know, I would never say you shouldn't feed your children and you should give your money to the church. I would never say that. I think that's immoral. I think that's unethical. But how many of us really could sacrifice something for the greater good of the kingdom if we chose to. Too oftentimes, it's about what I have. I just said, I don't know how I'm going to pay for my son's college. Don't have a clue. And yet, that doesn't mean I'm not going to continue to give and to support, to send the message of the kingdom around the world. Because it's an and, not a then. And it's so easy for us to put it in order that says, well, I'll do this, and even my local church. But like I said last week, I get asked both questions. Why don't we do more, and why do we give so much? Why don't we do more for missions? That's what one group asks me. There are people that left our church because we don't do enough. Made me sad, but I was like, well, if somebody told me a long time ago, if they give you a reason that they're leaving your church, there's probably other reasons, and they're going to leave your church anyway, because eventually they're going to find a reason. So if people are looking for reasons, they're going to find one. I give them a long list of things I screw up and mess up all the time. I have reasons I would leave this church. And I work here and pastor here. But if I were looking for a reason, it'd be easy. But the reality is, the reality is, we don't do enough. And yet, at the same time, some people say, why do we do so much? Why do we give? We give 17% of our money away. If we didn't do that, we'd be in a much better financial position. Yep. But I'm about spreading the kingdom of God. I'm about spreading the kingdom of God. 
And I don't believe, I know this is hard for you to imagine, but I don't believe, even though their slogan is the center of the universe, I don't really believe that Burian Nissan is the center of the known universe. And I don't believe that Gathering Place is the center of the known Christian world. And if you work at Burian Nissan, no offense. I don't believe that we are the center of the known universe when it comes to all things Christianity. But what I believe is this, that I've been called to do what I can, and you've been called to do what you can, and we're not going to change the world, but I'm going to change a life if I can, and you can change a life, and if we change enough of those lives, the world begins to subtly change. Think in your mind back to maybe seven years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, before you were a Christian. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. I don't know how long you've been in church. But think about that. Think about who you were before you had an encounter with God versus who you are now. And, and again, we're all on this journey. So if you're still like, I'm not even sure what I believe, that's okay. We're all on this journey. And, and I want us to make this journey together. That's the beauty of the church, is there are people in this church that have been Christians. I would say we probably have people in this church that have been Christians for 60 to 70 years. And I know that we have people in this church that have been Christians less than a year that are here today. And that's okay, because we're all in different places on this journey. But before you began making this journey, wherever that was, you may have seen a church, or you may have even belonged to one, but you may not have ever really felt connected and I've had people ask me, what do you do there? I was asked maybe three months ago, my wife and I went to, uh, it was in the spring, I know it was during the school year, but we went to the uh, fundraiser for uh, Des Moines Elementary. We were invited. They invite me because I'll always buy something. So now word's out so I get invited. And we're there, and we're sitting there, and somebody looks at me, somebody who I'd never met before, but we were having a good conversation, and they said, what does your church do? I was like, what? What do you do? What's it like? I was like, you know, we're typical Protestant church. Yeah, I, I, I don't go. I've never been. I was like, wait, you've never, you go, well, I've been to some funerals, and I've been to a couple of weddings that were at churches, but most weddings aren't at churches anymore, are they? I was like, okay, first off, I don't know the percentage of weddings in and out of churches. Now you're way out of my realm of expertise, but let me describe to you what a church service is like. And a man who was older than me by three, four years, and are having a conversation of what it looks like to go to church on a Sunday morning. He was intrigued. He was like, interesting. And people come every week. He asked what the dues were. And I said, believe me, there's plenty of things I'll have you dues, but uh, there is no cost. Well, don't they? Yeah, they, they receive. I said, people give money. So that's what I thought. I said, but that's, they give what they want. So you don't charge anything? No. What about for the kids' programs, though? Do you charge for those? Nope. We lose money on those, buddy. <laughs> and I had a conversation with a person who I would put, you know, I didn't ask to see his idea, but I put him in his early 50s about a, what we did. And yet, that doesn't really describe who we are. And so, if you know me at all, I took the opportunity, invited him. Now, he hasn't come yet. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he ever will. But it's not my job to make him come. It's my job to sow a seed and bring him one step closer. That day, I was doing the missionary work that he talks about because I was doing it right here in my community. My Jerusalem is my immediate circle. That Judea is my community. And yet, 
the and instead of then means I'm still going to tell people around the world in the best way I can. So how do I make this real in my life? That's really, that's the question I ask every time I preach any message, is how does somebody take this and do something within their life? Some people wish I would get more into the original Greek or wish I would do more with, uh, like, why, why don't you preach more just this and why do you do so much topical? I do topical because of this. It's got to be real and relatable to your life. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if it doesn't change how you're living, then talk about meaningless. The way I used to describe it is, knowledge is like a Super Bowl, your brain is like a gymnasium. You throw that thing and it goes everywhere, but it doesn't make any sense until you can put it in context. That's how I used to describe it to teenagers when I would talk to them. You guys have so much more brain capacity than I do because I can't figure out, I can barely figure out how to use the programs I know how to use on the computer. Do not ask me to try something new. You should get this new app. No, I shouldn't. But until I know how it affects my life today and until I know how to put that into a place, it's meaningless. So how do I make this real in my life? I live out the gospel where I am today and every day. To my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers. And that's going to look different in your situation and mine, and it even looks different with how I live out the gospel to my mail carrier than it does to people that I sit down with and have a cup of coffee with. Because one person, I'm going to go into depth, and another person, I'm just going to show them. And another person... I'm going to try to describe what a church service is like to somebody that hasn't ever been to one except for weddings and funerals. I'm going to connect in a deep way with my city, with the region around me. I do that by participating in the things that they do and the things that matter to them. And what I mean by that is next week we have a police foundation dinner, fundraiser, it's a fundraiser. And I'm going to help raise money to buy a new dog for the police department. I'm a little jealous. The last dog they had retired the night I got sworn in and nobody even cared I was there. So I have this little rivalry with our last dog. I don't know that he knows it. When he comes by to visit, he doesn't even seem to care that I'm there. But I'm going to go help raise money for a new police dog to serve the citizens of Des Moines. Now, is that going to change anyone's life? Probably not, but I'm going to be there, and I get to say, I get to open a door to speak now in a way that I don't if I don't engage in my city. And I don't care what the city you live in, if you're in Federal Way and they do the banana festival, go and celebrate. If they do this, go and be a part of it. Engage with it. Trunk or treat. The whole reason, somebody said, why don't we do trunk or treat here? Two reasons. One, our parking lot isn't as good here. It's just harder. As I looked at it and I tried to figure it out, it's really not as good. And this room is huge. Imagine trying to decorate this room for a Halloween event. It'd be really hard. I'm not saying we'll never do it here. Maybe we will someday. But I, as I was trying to lay it out and go, okay, this is how many people we have. Well, we can't use any of our parking spaces because... If we have 200 people, we need all the parking we have for them. 
So I'm trying to engage with the community, trying to do that with where we live. A couple of practical ministries we do. We support Transform Burien. We do that in two ways. Every month, we financially contribute to them. Three ways, I'm sorry. Every month, we financially contribute to them. Our second way, we receive food all the time. In case you didn't know it, in the lobby, right underneath our bulletin board, we have a black little bin. That's for canned goods and non-perishable foods to go to the food bank, food pantry, over at Transform Burien. Every week, we have people in our church that collect it and drive it over there. And once every other month, we serve and we go in and we serve a meal. And we pay for the meal and we provide the workers and we sit at tables and we talk with people. And people are like, why do you always promote that so much? Here's why. Because most of us are doing nothing to show our city we love them. And it's not anything against you. It's that we get so busy with life and yet we drive past the homeless and we wish maybe there was less of it and we wish they'd change and we wish this and we wish that. But here's our chance to say, hey, you matter. I may have to drive by you every day and I got to go to work and I got to do other things and that's true and that's real. I do it too. But I can bring some cans of tuna and a can of peanut butter once a month and I can say, hey, I see you, I recognize you and I know that there's a need. That's one way we do engagement in our community. Another way is through Lighthouse. Lighthouse is a shelter for... Um, women that are stuck in domestic violence. In October, there's actually, they do their annual fundraiser. I'll be out of town, but it's here. They do, they have a singer and they have desserts and they do different fun things and, but you get to hear the testimony from some of the women who live there. Now, I, we don't publish the address. We don't, if you want to volunteer, you have to go through a background check before you even can volunteer there. Um, but we partner with them. We support them. We support them financially. We allow them to use our facility for their annual banquet. We say, hey, we believe in what you're doing. Because when I'm out there with the police, I see horrific things. And I know what a broken world we live in. Am I going to change the city? No, but you know what I can say? There are four, three families right now living in a domestic violence shelter that we financially help keep and support. We're hoping, they're hoping, and I want to partner with them. They want to put one in Kent, and they want to put one in Burien. They're looking, even currently, for where can we get a house? It needs to be a fixer-upper. Then we got to get a group that'll come and fix it up. But they're thinking about that, because you know what? The need is great, so how do we support it? How do we do this? Are we going to end domestic violence? No, but can we help women find a way out of it? Absolutely. Do we do it all alone? We never could. But can we partner with other churches that do? Yes. And that's the kingdom saying, you matter to us. You matter to us. Nobody knows outside of you guys. Nobody knows that we financially support them. Most people don't even know it exists. And that's the way it has to be because of the nature of what we do. They can't publish where they're at. Wouldn't defeat its purpose. But we can say, hey, you matter. You matter and we want to help you. How do we make this real in our life? We support the things that we do through relationship. Why do we support the ones we have? Because of relationship. We support our global mission opportunities, opportunities, which next week I'm giving everybody a bookmark. It lists all the ones we currently partner with. I think there's nine of them on there. 
so that you can pray for them, so that you know who we support, so that you know what's going on. If someone asks if your church does anything even, you can go, yeah, here's just some of the things that we support and partner with globally and locally. Relationship. I believe that we see fruit from these ministries. I believe that these ministries have a passion to see people know Jesus. There are good things all around us. I'm not telling you which good things to choose to support. What I'm saying is, we have to decide, and then from there we go and we go, this is what we're going to support, and this is what we want to believe in. Matthew 24, 14 tells us this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. I'm not saying that some people read that as a, that's a trigger, and then the end comes. I'm saying, nope, we do it, and then the end comes. The gospel can be preached to all the world when we choose to let it be, when we choose to let it go through us, when we choose to let it flow through us. The whole world can hear. And then at least they have the opportunity to say yes or no. I can't make them say yes, but I can make sure that they know the truth of the gospel. Next week, I'm going to talk about some more specific ways that you can be involved in helping fulfill the call that we all have as believers. Because I firmly and honestly believe, no matter what age we are, no matter what our background, no matter what our history, we all have something we can do. Father God, I thank you for the congregation of Gathering Place. God, I pray that they would feel your presence and your peace today. God, I pray that this message would inspire them would challenge them, would motivate them, would move them, would make them see that you have something for them, that you want something for them. And God, I also just pray that the women that are at retreat today would feel your presence, would know that you are with them, that you would challenge them, that you would speak to them, that you would remind them that you have something for them. God, that we would be a church who doesn't just gather, hear something, and leave, But Father God, we would be a church who comes together to be equipped to go out and do what you've called us to do, which is show the world who you are by the way we love, the way we live, the way we speak. Let us be changed, not so that we're better people, but so that people, the lost and the dying, see the reality of who you are. In your name, amen. Thanks for coming. I'm glad you're here. Have a great day.